0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Insider, brought to you, just for a change, by Vanishing Inc. My guest today is the card magician's card magician. He's a creative and a technical expert. He's created highly original and influential card magic. From his earliest books like Modus Operandi and The Expert's Portfolio, he showed us just how strong gambling and magic material could be. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Jack Carpenter. Jack, how are you?
1: Hi, uh, great, and thanks for having me. I'm really flattered.
0: Ah, oh, thank you for doing it. Now, I understand we've got your mother, your mother's possibly tall tales of a card shark to thank for getting you where we are today. Tell us about that story.
1: That's interesting. You brought that up. Uh, I, I must discuss that uh, some a lecture or something. I'm surprised you know. Yes, it's absolutely true. I, I was probably twelve, thirteen, and my my mother used to. Uh, she tell us what she lived in uh, she used to live in Biloxi, Mississippi, and she told me this story of uh, this card shark she met. He was amazing. He could you know he he could pick up all the hands, you know, remember where all the aces were, and then uh, shuffle and then deal all the aces out of the middle. You know, years later, of course, I realized that she she probably watched Lorraine's poker deal, but uh, that's what got. Me. Yeah, I uh, I wanted to be that card shark. I guess my mother. You know, I, I, I wanted to impress her, too, I guess. But uh, that's when it all happened, and I really got into uh, pursuing uh, car cheating, particularly at that time at a young age, before magic even. So, that's true, yeah.
0: Tell us about the influence Scarni had on your formative years.
1: Okay, uh, here's the deal. When I was a kid, uh, I didn't associate with magicians at all. I, I didn't know any. It's not that I was uh, unsociable. I, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't know any, I didn't know how to get in contact. This is back in the old days. You know, we didn't have uh, the internet and the email and, uh, all these things. And, uh, so in fact, I didn't really get together with my magicians till after I got out of the service. I was in my early twenties. And, uh, anyway, uh, I had gotten, I, I had gotten behold of the Harry Lorraine book, the Close-Up card magic. And that got me really going. And, uh, and in the course of time from the library, I got the Walter Gibson's uh, Encyclopedia of Card Magic. And in there, uh, uh, but the main thing was I wanted to be like John Scarney because I read his book, I had his book Scarnie on Cards. That was the first book I got uh, that got me going. And I learned how to, believe it or not, I learned how to riffle stack second deal, bottom deal, shifting the cut from the brief descriptions in that book, Scarnie on Cards, and the fork. And uh, I know this it's hard to believe, but I got very competent at doing, a, a, you know, a card table work without any real knowledge of how to perform this stuff or, or uh, you know, I had still had it in my head that I wanted to be a card shark, a card cheat. And I thought all magicians, you know, you had to know how to do this stuff. You know, everybody, you know, I read the close-up card magic. I read, uh, you know, I just assumed all these guys did... Uh, you know riffle stacking, second dealing, bottom dealing. Uh, so I uh, would just keep practicing. I, I didn't consider myself an expert unless I could do it. And of course, when I was about fifteen, I saw John Scarney on the Virginia Graham show, and he did the stuff, and I was just so dazzled by him. So my early early years, I wanted to be John Scarney. That's absolutely true.
0: Jack, you've got a real knack for blending. Different ideas. Now, when many magicians do this, it kind of turns into a bit of a hot mess. But with you, something special happens. What do you put that down to? How do you approach blending different ideas?
1: uh You know, uh, you know, I, I, I'm firm believer that everything that is comes from what came before. And uh, you know, as I got more and more into magic, you know, post uh, Air Force, uh, thanks to my friend Steve Ayler's, who I met. The Air Force. Uh, he's the one that really got me exposed to books and uh, things outside of what I was filming. I had uh, what would I have? Garcia's books, uh, Million Dollar Card Secrets, uh, Close-Up Card Magic by Lorraine. And uh, so as I got more exposed, I I started to realize that hey, I don't have to do these things exactly as as they're written, uh, and I haven't have an idea. And, uh, but how does it actually happen? I, I I tend to get a vision of something, wouldn't it be cool if I could do this in the middle of this or whatever? So it's kind of t- tough to explain. In, in a lot of ways, I think a lot of stuff I come up with, I kind of look at it, I come up with solutions that nobody's looking for, <laughs> so it makes any sense. But uh, in the course, of, I, I get obsessed. I'm an obsessed uh, card guy. I, I can't stop working on different ways to, to do different things. You know, not necessarily new effects, really. I don't really do effect wise. I don't think I do anything that you would classify as a brand new effect. I, I kind of focus, as you said, on the technical side and uh, come up with ways to uh, to to affect what I see in my head. You know, does that sure. make any sense? Maybe well, you, it uh, makes
0: I, absolute perfect sense. Um, you've talked a lot about your love of books. What are some books that you think every magician should read?
1: Well, uh, very good question. Uh, the big game changer for me was Darwin Ortiz. When I, when I got on the service, and as I mentioned, Steve Ayers was a big influence in getting me to meet other magicians. And that he's the guy that got me set up. I met, uh, thanks to his, uh, you know, he would bug these people. Uh, uh Jimmy Grippo, uh, he set up a meet with Derek Dingle. I got to meet Derek Dingle in New York, sit down with that guy while he, down to Fifth of Scotch in uh, New York City. Uh, spent a lot of good time with Jimmy Cripple. And uh, so when I was, I'd say, uh, how old was I? It was still in the 80s. And I, and Darwin Ortiz, uh, the guy who turned me on to his stuff, it was a guy named Tom Goddard from Connecticut, another guy that really got me going on, I think, on the right track. And he was a, a student of Darwin and also Marlowe years before at the same time but uh, Darwin is the one that, that got me going and that when his book came out uh, at the table Darwin Ortiz at the table at the card table was uh, it was just life changing the first and you know, I did all the gambling stuff I did you know it was a terrible thing to watch if I look back at myself back then you say uh, I would do uh, okay look at this you know look at me and I would rip off a bunch of ripple stacking center seconds and bottoms and and uh, had no structure I had no form uh, it was impressive stuff but it was over in a flash and it didn't touch uh, touch the surface as, as to what could really what you could really do to impress and entertain an audience and Darwin's book at the card table put it all together for me I said oh this is it this guy every trick is what you'd call a closer <laughs> you know anywhere you get stopped in your act you did a closer and uh, it was so well structured with the things that I really cared about no angle problems, practical, and just, you know, butt-kicking stuff, all with a gambling theme. Uh, even the card tricks, it still have a, a gambling sense. And uh, that, that book changed my life and direction on how to create routines, you know, because I, I still love the gambling effects. Uh, to me, it still makes the most sense to me, because if you're going to do, like I do, and many others, pretty much just card tricks, uh, let's face it, if you could do real magic, uh, why would you... Sp- be fiddling with cards well when you're doing a gambling trick well it makes total sense why you got so good with cards and uh you know that that's what darwin had it it was not a demonstration of magic it was it was a demonstration of a a extremely skilled card man that could uh take your life at the card table if you wanted to and so that was probably the one of the, the probably the biggest book that affected me was at the card table i know it was a big rant and all but uh that's that's the truth.
0: Why do you think books are the best source for learning magic?
1: Oh my goodness, uh, I, I probably can't add more than other people more knowledgeable and uh, more. Uh, as far as, but I think the obvious thing is you you learn the technique uh, and the methods without being exposed to someone else doing it, and so you're not. Uh, I don't want to say poisoned or prejudiced on how to handle a thing. You tend to develop your own uh, technique, uh, your own style. You're not uh, trying to duplicate what someone else does. I think that's the most, that's the major uh, advantage of learning from a book. You become who you are because you have no choice. Now in the 80s, when they started coming out with videos, it was a, a real epidemic of people doing line for line what uh, Harris did. And uh, some others uh, and they never got a chance it's not their fault but once you see it done and they, they did it well and it impressed you you're gonna you're gonna copy what they do. In the old days we didn't have that you, you had a, a very distinct uh, a difference between magicians and how they handled cards and how they uh, how they presented themselves. Again another I hope I made that point that's more rambling. <laughs>
0: No, it's far from rambling far from rambling now a number of your effects involve really interesting stories as a hook for you what comes first the story or the trick
1: uh i, I let me think about that i think probably uh I, I always start out there's something technically that i've stumbled across or would like to exploit and then the next thing is i how am i going to make this entertaining how am i going to get this uh to be you know, accepted uh, by an audience, and then then the story comes, the plot, or the presentation. I think generally with me, but that's not not necessarily a good way to do it. I, you know, others, and sometimes very rarely occasionally get an idea of, of a of a plan uh, of a presentation, and then work on it technically. But I think most of the time, when I'm fiddling around and playing with moves, and I stumble on something I really like, so I got I got to build a routine around this, a core. Uh, and that's what happens a lot. I'll build. I'll find something i really like like recently i just came up with a uh, a version of the daily aces and what it was was i stumbled on this great way to do a visual change and then i then i went and wrapped a routine around it around that and made that the central part of it so to speak but yeah i think i, I tend to start with the method and i'm not advocating that as a good thing it's just the, just the way i'm wired i think why did you always
0: why did you choose to always work with a regular deck of cards?
1: Oh, that's a, that's a good point. Uh, well, first of all, uh, I was impressed by, uh, as I mentioned, Darwin. Uh, I think maybe, you know, what is it, one-tenth of 1% one of Darwin's work will use a gaff or even a, a duplicate card. Uh, to me, uh, even if you're going to have a duplicate card, you've got to have a darn good reason for it. Uh, I was impressed, you know. All my heroes—they pretty much could do miracles <clears throat> with a uh, with an ordinary deck of cards. You know, from Jennings to Darwin, to uh, you know, even Harry Lorraine made his living with an ordinary pack of playing cards. He was—he was a big influence on me as far as when I was a kid. The, the the structure of the routine and how and you could entertain. It was to me it was almost like why bother with any gimmicks or or duplicates when there's so much you can do without them. And then you don't have the stress of uh, getting caught with the, these things, and uh, because there's so much you can do, it's just not worth it to me. You know, I, I mean, you're all aware of the things that are out there. I, I, there's very few things that I think are worth using a gimmick card. There are, oh, definitely are, uh, but I don't do them. Uh, maybe I'm lazy. You know, I just don't. I just want to carry that regular deck of cards, and uh, uh, I can go at any moment.
0: I I think actually it's the opposite of lazy because quite often a a gimmick will do a lot of the work for you, whereas you're there doing the actual hard work.
1: That's funny because uh, I don't consider myself particularly organized uh, uh, as far as setting up a show, Uh, making sure what's in what's pocket and what's in that pocket. And I got to make sure I have this card over here and for I'm going to ring in this deck over here of... uh,
0: Svengalis
1: or whatever—I don't. Whatever you're doing, that to me is more work than sitting down and practicing and getting the effect that I want uh, with a with a deck of cards. Another thing I do that uh, maybe a lot of people don't do is I, I like to develop routines. When I when I got an idea for a trick, let's say an Ace Assembly, uh, experimenting with them all my life, but my thinking has always been: uh, uh, come up with one routine that works under all conditions. Now you'll meet some magicians that say, uh, "Well, I have this method I use for this occasion, or when I'm standing up, I use this method, and I have this method when I, uh, uh, you know, uh, I'm surrounded, whatever. And this one where I people are just in front of me. That's another example of that I'm too lazy for that. I can't maintain four different ways. I, I try to develop routine that will work under any circumstances. So uh, you'll even see me." I joke around about the the gambler's cop. I'll say, uh, that's for pussies. You know, uh, it's not, but it, the fact is it's a, it's a move that in a lot of occasions, depending on how you are at the table, you can't do with a guy standing behind you. You got to So I tend to go with classic palms things that I, I, uh, I know I'm not going to get caught surrounded. I, I became obsessed early on. I think probably due to the Scarny effect, the gambling, uh, influence, you gotta be able to do this. And, for instance, the truth is with card cheating, it's not the guys at the table you're so much concerned about. It's the eye in the sky and, and the kibitzers, uh, you know, gathering around. Those are the guys that have got the good angles. So early on, I got uh, obsessed with the idea that uh, it's got to be angle-proof. And, uh, yeah, so I, I, I know it sounds obsessive, but to me, it's it's the opposite. Of la- it is lazy. Excuse me.
0: So, again, more <laughs> Um, your YouTube channel is the most wonderful and amazing resource. I don't know if you r- realize, but you posted your first video there eleven years ago. How and why did you get into sharing your material and ideas on YouTube?
1: Well, uh, you know, the, the truth is, really, I don't promote that channel. I don't do all the stuff that people do to get high subscribers. Because I don't. I, originally, I was set up to get paid for it and all that, but. It wasn't my goal uh, make money on YouTube and so I don't do any of the things they have where you can you know I can get uh, you know 30,000 views if I do this all this interaction networking with other people and promotion I use it as a it started out to me as a great notebook again mr. lazy now that we have this I don't have to write it down I can I can record uh, ideas and tricks and pretty much the, the people that see my stuff are guys that either stumbled on it mostly magicians and uh but even then I, I reach a small amount of magicians i think relatively uh and i bypass a lot of laymen deliberately obviously and uh so it's like a notebook for me and i can go back and you know i had an idea and then three years later uh, later i go don't let me go revisit that sometimes i have trouble reconstructing it if i didn't make an explanation video but uh generally i can see the routine and remember what i did it's a great notebook it's, it'll be there forever. I'd say uh, more than half of what I put on there is not visible to the public. It's uh, they're unlisted videos. But I put a lot of stuff public and let guys look at it, and play with it, uh, if they're interested.
0: But those unlisted videos, you do share in other places over at the Magic Pebble. You don't just show yeah. your moves and tricks very regularly. You tip the work as well. Why? Why do you do that?
1: Well uh, why do I do that? I, I, I don't see why not uh, It's not like uh, uh, they're not they're not something that's uh, that the world, you know this whole thing about secrecy I, you know, I'm one of those people that feel the best way to keep a secret is to publish it and uh, it, it, it's kind of true. Uh, you can you, you can try you can probably do this yourself. Uh, take a trick that you haven't done in years or from a book or even learned on a video. And show it to your buddies, and they'll go, Oh, where'd that come from? And there's just so much uh, volume of uh, material. Uh, I don't have a feeling of like I'm giving away any uh, uh, tricks or anything. Uh, as I said, I, I have a very low, you know, it's not a big promoted channel. So the people that I care about get to see it pretty much. And the rest, uh, I'm not like exposing it. I don't, I never do. Uh, explanations of any kind for the public of course i i just did one card spin i think years ago explain that but uh, is that is that what you're getting at uh, yeah 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 exposure,
0: no 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 not at all not even slightly I, I i think it's lovely that you you share the stuff with the guys and ladies on the pebble um it was just it was just no, a no, no. why you why you feel why why you why you do it well
1: the guys on the pebble they uh I think most of them, uh there's only a few guys interested in what kind of stuff I do anyway. So oh, I don't know. You get
0: a lot of comments uh, when you post something, Jack. A lot of comments. And You're really well known for your soft touch with a deck of cards. Why do you think that's important, and when did you realize that it was important? Oh,
1: gee. Uh, again, going back to uh, uh, when I was young and I got... You know, very severely impressed the uh, necessity of naturalness and uh, uh, avoiding suspicion. So I think it stems from that. Uh, I try to work everything into the way I really handle a deck of cards. If I didn't know a thing about cards, a uh, slight of hand, but I was competent, you know, dealer in a game or something, a good shop, you know, little things that bother me, uh, and, and, but we're all guilty of doing them anyway. Occasionally, and I do too. Uh, like nothing horrible than watching a, a pickup at the back for a double lift. Little things like that—they uh, fly right by layman, I know, but those little things add up, and uh, I think you get an effect—much uh, better effect on an audience when they, they all they see is the way they would have hold and handled the cards. You know, so I, uh, I hope that helps.
0: Have you got a regime when you practice? How do you practice?
1: Well, when I was younger, I uh, when I was a kid in uh, middle age, I would actually say I, when I was a kid, I would practice twelve to eighteen hours a day, and uh, just nonstop. And uh, it, it's probably not healthy at all. I I would uh, just couldn't live without those cards in my hand. I've always been dismayed when I hear someone say, "Well, I." I try to teach them a slight and, they, and I said, it's gonna take a couple of days of practice or maybe a month or whatever. Uh, uh, I've had friends that go, oh, well, no, I can't, I can't do that. Uh, my, or my finger won't do that. I said, well, yeah, I know, but they will if you just keep doing it. And it's be surprised how many guys don't enjoy practice. If you don't enjoy practicing, I don't see how you could possibly get any good. Uh, but there, there are some that don't enjoy practicing. It's like work to them. So I love practicing. So all, all through my young, uh, young adulthood, and I, I would always be practicing. and uh, But it is good, and it, whatever I was working on, if I would do riffle stacking, I would do a re- regimen, just repeat it over and over again. Uh, second dealing, drill down to the whole deck. Uh, and uh, I, it was never a, a burden to me, you know. I, I practice less today, I'm spending more time, on, I'll individually practice something I'm working on. And then of course, When I'm out of practice, if I have to do a show, which is very rare now, uh, I have to actually go back and practice the set make sure I can do it. So that's how my practice is today. Showman practice.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know whether this is a question you can answer, and it could just be a one-word answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Have you ever cheated in a money game?
1: Uh, No, I'm not a card cheat, and uh, I... I don't, have, I don't have the hairs. I do not have the hairs to do it. I have cheated accidentally. You know, when I was, uh, uh, before we wrote, released Modus Operandi, I, I would uh, practice uh, the moves at the card. Did. So uh, Diamond Mills, a couple of great card rooms they had in the, the old days before they brought in what they call center dealers. <laughs> I always thought that was funny, but the house dealer. But we would just pass the deck around in the card rooms in the Seattle area, outside of Seattle. Uh, you would pass the deck around, and you'd play Texas High. You'd play, uh, you might play Pineapple some, might have two or th- three games they allowed, Omaha, and you'd pass the deck. You'd pass the chip along, and you'd, you'd shuffle. So I would practice a lot of moves without knowing the identity. I would do riffle stacking, I'll fall shuffling, second dealing, the whole shebang, but I'm not, I didn't know the identity of the cards. In fact, I, I took Stephen Hobbs, this is a good story, I took Stephen Hobbs with me one uh, day down the, when he was writing the first book and uh, he wanted to see how the how the car action really was and I took him down to Diamond Lills and they had like uh, five or six tables right next to the bar and uh, so I said okay you're going to buy in, buy a rack and uh, just you know be tight, play tight don't throw away your money so we each bought a rack and I sat at the table and he watched me do the moves and stuff so after and, uh, and I said yeah this stuff can be done so Afterwards, you know, uh, not, after being there a while, I look over at Steve, now, he was wearing one of those white dress, like a shirt like this, one of those ones that's kind of a uh, white shirt, but it's kind of almost translucent, you know, that's not thick. Well, in his pocket, he had an ace of hearts. He didn't have a jacket on. So here, all this whole time we're doing this thing, he had an ace of hearts in his upper, you know, front shirt pocket with the ace, you know, you could see it through the pocket. I just... And I'm looking, at am holy cow. And I just started, we've been here for an hour and a half or whatever. And these guys, you know, they had to see this ace of hearts. And uh, I, you know, I, he was kind of off to my side. So I didn't, until I turned around and looked at him, I didn't see it. So the whole time they must've been seeing that ace. And I think they must've been thinking, well, it's a free country. He can have an ace in his pocket, but uh, it better stay there. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so we got out of the car and we said, Steve, look what you got in your pocket. That's, that's not good, uh. Good protocol.
0: <laughs> One of the dealers were trying to figure out how he was going to ring it in from, from a breast pocket into into the game. <laughs> <laughs> Who are some magicians that you'd wished that you'd had the opportunity to see perform? Yes. Yeah,
1: well, obviously, I've never, I've seen diver, and I've never sat down with the man. Uh, in fact, I remember when Steve and I, uh, 1979, uh, it was the night John Wayne night. We went to the castle. We're going to. Hook up with Vernon if he's there, and he was there. We go in. He's at the bar, and just then everybody, I'm getting ready to go over to him. And I, I actually, I thank God I he, I never did sit down because he would have, he would have been dismayed at me. He probably would have, you know, because the way I worked it was boom, boom, boom. Look at me, shuffle, shuffle, shuffle. False dealing, stacking, that kind of stuff. No entertainment value outside of showing off. I think at the in those days, and uh, so it's kind of a good thing he didn't see me. He probably would have let me have it. But uh, the guys, they all got up, and it was his birthday. They took him out for dinner. And I remember, I said, where are you going? They're going. He walked by me. Steve and I are looking at him. Uh, but no, I never sat down with Vernon. There uh, had any uh, connection with but
0: him. Jack, I- it's <laughs> dreadful, but we're just about out of time. But we always end the show on four quick-fire questions. Are you ready?
1: Oh, I don't know. We'll see about that. Okay.
0: Favourite pizza I'm topping? Favourite pizza topping?
1: Oh. Uh, I guess it's pepperoni. It's
0: a popular Hambur- choice. Oh, it's a no, I say
1: hamburger. like the hamburger. Some-
0: hamburger? You're but a crazy like cat, hamburger. Jack. Favourite movie?
1: Crazy. Wildly crazy guy, yeah.
0: Favourite movie?
1: Uh, Godfather, number one.
0: Favorite person or people that make music?
1: Oh my goodness.
0: Mm. Oh,
1: this, that's a tough one because there's so much I like. I have a, you know, I love uh, a lot of, uh, I love the old country music. I'm sorry to say, I love Stevie Ray Vaughan, blues. Pick one. Stevie Ray Vaughn, if I had to. Okay. That, I just love that guy.
0: And finally, who would you rather fight? One massive Andy Gladwin, or a hundred tiny Joshua Jays. Uh,
1: I think I'd go with the, the massive Andy Gladwin. Yeah, definitely.
0: Jack Carpenter.
1: Massive. Yeah.
0: Jack Carpenter. Thank you so much for giving me some of your time this afternoon. I really, really appreciate it.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. I hope. Uh made some sense at all i'm
0: just rambling i like very much. i like rambles and you made perfect sense and i'm glad i got you out of your hike okay
1: thank you
0: all right jack no, you take you, care
1: you save me that one
0: <laughs> you owe me all right <laughs> thank you very much indeed sure. jack i really do appreciate it